Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Yeah. Everyone could tell me exactly what they need from me The first second they speak to me I'm not with all the secrecy secretly beefing me Behind closed doors but playing it peacefully For the streets to see my have some decency Don't move like a puto Could at least keep it a buck like answer to Kumbo I made north of the border like Vito Rizzuto Throwing parties in Miami Welcome back to the Keeping It A Buck podcast show I'm Jake Weinbach, your host And joining me today We have NBA writer Matt Moore of the Action Network Matt Thanks for coming on, man. Happy All-Star break. How we doing? Good, man. Thanks for having me. Of course. Yeah, so as we enter the All-Star break now, the Eastern Conference is absolutely stacked. There's just a seven-game difference between the first and eighth seed right now. And as it stands currently, Miami is up top, followed by Chicago, Philly, Cleveland, Milwaukee, Boston, Toronto, and then Brooklyn is at eighth. So today we're going to assess this ultra competitive Eastern Conference now as we head into the All-Star festivities. And of course, we're going to start with the defending champs, the Milwaukee Bucks. The Bucks currently stand fifth right now in the East after that thrilling loss on Thursday night where Giannis Antetokounmpo and Joel Embiid went absolutely at it as they just went off against each other. Before the trade deadline, the Bucks. They acquired Serge Ibaka from the Clippers. They sent out Dante DiVincenzo, Semi Ojale, and Rodney Hood for Ibaka. Two future second-round picks in cash. So first off, Matt, what do you think of the Ibaka acquisition and how it, how it will play out for the Bucs the rest of the season? Yeah, I mean, it was a little curious. I think um, if Brooke comes back, you like it because it gives you another, it gives you another option you can play at four or five. So you can play uh, Ibaka at four five or like basically five, four with Giannis and then switch everything. And then you can play Brooke the rest of the time. If you're having to rely on Ibaka, I think that's when it kind of gets tough. If you're like, Oh, Ibaka is going to be our center. Well, like you kind of saw versus the, the Sixers, like the bucks just don't have enough raw size. Like you probably needed like an actually like big center. Now maybe they make another move. And if Robin Lopez comes available, they pick up Brooks brother and that'd be funny, but also very good for them. Like that'd be a good combo. You know, Abaka, my problem is just like Abaka hasn't been able to stay on the floor. Like last three seasons, he's just like he's he put a lot of miles on himself in OKC and then he had a lot of miles on him in Toronto. And at, by the end of the Toronto run, he was kind of running out. And so I have concerns about his ability to stay on the floor. Like theoretically, it's like a really solid move, right? He's got like a short jumper. He can give you some rebounding, veteran toughness, good defender, all those types of things. But Ibaka's got to be healthy in order for any of that to matter, because if not, then he's just a guy taking up a roster spot. So especially given, like, I, they give up so many wings, and they couldn't know that they would give up those wings and then, like, immediately Pat Connaughton would get hurt, right? But they're still, to me, they left themselves, I think you always want, like, multiple options on the wing, and they kind of shorted themselves and being like, all right, we're going to have Connaughton, and we're going to have, obviously, like, mid, and we're going to have Giannis, and then, you know, we'll 
we have Nawara and a couple other guys that will kind of fill in and and have options for. But I thought losing Hood and DiVincenzo, even though those guys had struggled, I thought that was a lot of wings to give up and they kind of lost a little bit of leverage there for a player in Ibaka that I can't look at and say like, oh, that's definitely an upgrade. It was um, an interesting move. I think it could wind up... I think especially if you're in a heat series, I think a is really helpful. Like that's the big key for me is like, if you face Miami, you can put a Baca on Bam out of bio and be like, all right, we're going to be okay in this. Like, this is going to be fine. Um, if you face the nets, like he's still better than most of the nets bigs. So you're fine there. It's really just the Philadelphia and maybe Chicago matchups where I think Milwaukee is going to be a little bit compromised because of the deals. Right. And as we know, Brooke Lopez has been out since opening night with back surgery and his back injury. But ironically, Ibaka has had his own back issues, you know, dating back for for a while now. But he says he's 100% healthy. Um, So we'll see how his health improves, you know, uh, the rest of this second half of the season. And also last or Thursday night, we saw the Bucks throw out a mega lineup with Ibaka, Bobby Portis, and Giannis all playing. So when or if Brooke Lopez comes back, I know we'll get into it more later, but John Horst, our general manager of the Bucks, said that he expects Lopez to be back this season. But can you just imagine a lineup of Brooke, Giannis, and Serge Ibaka in one lineup? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 super big in case you need that, right? I think the question is just like, when are you going to run into it? I, I think the, the the best thing to have that for is Cleveland. Right. Because then you're able to go if they if right. they're going to run out marketing Sexton or I'm sorry, marketing uh, Allen and Mobley, Mobley, then you're able to counter with a far superior big three. But, you know, look, I think having the, the super big lineup is helpful in certain contexts. I think with Philly, it's an interesting question of, all right, so if you want to use that lineup, do you put Ibaka on Tobias Harris? Is that like the move? And then that lets Giannis basically freelance. There's some options there, I think. Um, the size is definitely useful, but uh, I mean, ultimately, I think with how much you need spacing for the Bucks offense to work, I do think that you're only going to be able to play really with one big at max on the floor. Right. And the big thing about the Bucks is they're just so versatile. Yeah. And Abaka, his acquisition, you know, with his versatility, his spacing ability, his ability to block the rim as a rim protector, he just his presence just gives the Bucks more versatile lineups and more flexibility um, on the floor. And so that's another thing that he'll bring to this Bucks along with his championship experience. So I know I'm very excited about the Serge Ibaka acquisition. I know Bucks fans are pretty excited about him. And a lot of us remember when we played the Raptors in uh, the 2019 Eastern Conference Finals and how effective Ibaka was, especially against Giannis. So it's, it feels nice to have him on our side. Yeah, I mean, look, it's better to have, especially because you're going up against Lowry, right? Like, you got enough guys from Barry. You got to deal, like, you may have to deal with the Raptors again, and you got Lowry on the heat. So, it's like, it's good to have a former Raptor, I think, on board to be able to combat a little bit of what they're going to bring to the table. Absolutely. And now, I'm going to share with you what John Horst said in his press conference this week. He said that he expects Lopez and Pat Connaughton to return this season. Connaughton just had broke his hand. Lopez is still recovering from back surgery. And then he said, George Hill, who has been dealing with some neck soreness, he expects him to be back very soon. He also said that Dante DiVincenzo wanted a better situation. I know you said we have a lack of wing depth right now, but it appears that DiVincenzo in his camp just wanted a better situation. He wasn't getting much playing time. He didn't have that 
big as a role as he as he used to with this team. So Giannis is now the only first round pick made by the Bucks on this current roster, wow. which is kind of crazy. Yeah. Right. And then speaking of wing depth, though, the Bucks just signed DeAndre Bembry, who isn't you know like a big huge signing, but it's a sneaky good one. Uh, yeah, I'll say yeah. like he was a guy that I was surprised was on the board. Like I was surprised that he was waived. Um, he was good in his minutes this season. He brings a lot to the table. Like he's, he has worked through, I'll, I'll say this, a, a, a bunch of really good teams have put him through their system and haven't signed him, right. Kept him. Right. So that's a concern. That's like, okay, why does he keep not being retained, but they still see something in him, I think. And so like, I think that's a quality pickup that can help. Of course, winged up and he's a good three point shooter, space the floor, do all the kind of stuff that the Bucks like with uh, with versatility. So, yeah, it's a good signing. And the thing is, the Bucks still have two open roster spots to fill. And I know our GM, John Horst, said that there's no rush to fill those two. They're going to be patient with that unless, you know, a big signing comes up. Like, obviously, Goran Dragic is now available after reportedly getting bought out by the Spurs. So we'll see where he ends up. I know the Bucks are heavily pursuing him, according to multiple reports. More about the Bucks. They score, they currently score 113.2 points per game, but they allow 109.8 points per game. They have a plus 3.4 point differential, but they're six and four in their last 10 games. And what concerns me is they have a 22 and 17 record in the Eastern Conference. Okay, so that, that's a little bit concerning to me. Um, and I know you're a big, you're a big odds guy, right? So right now the Bucks are plus 260 to win the East, according to a sports book, and they're plus 550 to win the title. What do you think about the Bucs and their chances to win the East or even win the title at this point right now, assuming that they're healthy? Yeah, I still think that they should be the favorite to win the win the East. Um, the title, I think, is, is tough to get there just because of Phoenix and how good they are. Um, I like them in a matchup versus the Warriors. I like them in a, in a matchup versus any of the teams that they would face in the West except Phoenix. Um, and they obviously beat Phoenix last year, so you'd have to be pretty, you know, that line would still have to be pretty close. Look, the Bucks have coasted this season. Um, I think they coasted even before, like even outside of the Brook injury, which I think takes away some of their margin for error. There are just these games where they show up and they absolutely destroy you. And then there's games where it's like they're just not entirely there. And they've earned that from having won the title, like the regular seasons, regular season wins don't mean the same that they did the last couple of years. They're not trying to prove anything. Um, and they all need home court. They can win on the road. They've shown that. So to me, I have, I've haven't, you know, everyone kind of just goes back to, Hey, if Kevin Durant doesn't step on the line, like everyone kind of goes back to that. Or if Kyrie and Harden gotten hurt, I still don't like that matchup for the nets. They had so much fortune in the early part of that series defensively versus the bucks when they're the bucks offense was still in that doing that thing where they just look lost half the time and look they may still do that and that's like the door is like the bucks may have that stint where it's like guys are missing open shots and they keep like not creating quality looks and all these type of things but the nets are really going to roll out there their front court that they're going to run out there to try and defend milwaukee with is going to be andre drummond blake griffin and lamarcus aldridge with nick claxton that, exactly Try, try and be like, let's try and be serious here. Nets. Like, this is the point. Like this is the NBA. Let's be serious about our front courts about. Um, so I like the bucks in that matchup. I will say there's some teams that, that concern me. Um, 
you know, the Sixers won, I think ultimately they probably get past them. Uh, good win for the Sixers on Thursday night. That was a really quality win. A lot of things went their way in that one. Absolutely. Um, and I will say, look, look, if Brooke's not back, I think that changes things dramatically. Like if Brooke does not come back, then I think it's a lot more open. I do also look at the heat. Look, they smacked that heat team last year, but they smacked the heat team that all of those teams that came out of the bubble final four, none of them were in the right spot in the playoffs last year. And right. only one of them, the nuggets made it to the second round. The other three were first round outs, right? So you got, you have to give them a little bit of a, uh, of a break there. Plus Bryn Forbes is huge in that series. He's no longer there. Uh, Dante was actually really good and hit the games that he played in, in those series before he got hurt. He's no longer there. And Miami's added Kyle Lowry and they've got some new guys. I think Miami's in a better spot to go against Milwaukee. Like they're gunning for Milwaukee. You can tell that matchup concerns me and I would still make the bucks favorites, but I do think that that one is like one that I'm a little bit worried about. Um, I don't think that Cleveland or Chicago can, can hang with the bucks. So really to me, it's okay. Is this Ben Simmons thing going to work? for Brooklyn is Kyrie going to get cleared to play home games. What shape is KD going to be in? And even beyond all that, can they stop the Bucks offense? Is the Bucks offense just, are they going to shoot like a normal percentage? Because if they do, the Bucks should win the East and honestly win it pretty handily. I agree with you. And you know, you know, despite the inconsistencies, the Bucks are still my favorite to come out of the East. And yes, there's a lot of teams that scare me, Miami, Philly, Brooklyn, you know, just because of the star power, you know, in the Eastern Conference and how deep it is this year, it's crazy. So as mentioned earlier, the Bucks are currently fifth. Do you expect them to stay around there? Do you expect them to move up before the playoffs come around? And do you think it matters? Um, so one thing to keep in mind, they have the hardest remaining schedule by opponent record remaining over at tankathon.com. Mm-hmm. They got a .554, Chicago second. Um, they play the Suns one more time. They play the Warriors one more time. They play the Grizzlies one more time. They play the Heat one more time. They play the Bulls three more times. So they have a chance to catch up for the division lead. Um, you know, I think what's tough here is, is okay. They might be able to get past Chicago. Who's definitely missing Alice Caruso and Lonzo ball, but then like Cleveland just kind of refuses to lose. Like Cleveland just kind of keeps going and so I think that division race is going to be really interesting. I don't honestly expect the Bucks to finish with, I, I think, a top. I don't expect them to finish higher than third. I think third is doable. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they're fifth or sixth. I think a lot of it just depends on where Milwaukee's at health-wise and what they need to do. Like, they don't need to, to put the pedal down. They just don't. There's no real incentive for them to do that. You know, if it's one Miami, two Brooklyn, uh, three Chicago, and Sixers are four. I think the Bucks are comfortable with that. You know, I think the Bucks are comfortable in a four-five, taking on the Sixers and Heat to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. I think they'd be comfortable in that matchup. So again, you know, there's like different scenarios you can kind of go through. But for Milwaukee, I don't think they need an extra push at the end. I think they probably will win a high percentage after the All Star break, just because they're a really good team, and they will, I think, probably sharpen up before the playoffs. Like I would expect them to come out of the All Star break and have a really hot three weeks, and then cool down the back half of March and into April as they get ready for the playoffs. Right, and the East is so deep this year that it feels like just the seeding doesn't really matter as much compared to previous years. Because either way, you're going to be playing these teams at least you know three of them to get to the finals. So 
that's the way I see it. And, you know, it's going to be very, very competitive come playoff time. All right. I wanted to talk to you about the MVP race because, in my opinion, it's already down to three guys. Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. We saw Giannis and Embiid battle Thursday night, but it is very tight. Giannis is averaging 29.4 points per game, 11.2 rebounds, six, six assists, one steal, 1.4 blocks, and he's shooting 54.7% on field goals, 30.9% from three, and 72.1% on free throws. Giannis is having a similar MVP season or MVP caliber season to his last one in 2019-20 season. And, you know, he seems to be right up there, but I wouldn't consider him the front runner as of right now. What does your MVP race look like entering the All-Star break? Yeah, you know, I was, I was polled by Tim Bontemps for the straw poll. Um, I put Jokic mm-hmm. one, I put Giannis two, and I put Embiid three. Um, that was when the Bucks were ahead of the Sixers in record. Like, I think that's going to wind up deciding everything. It's just like who finishes with the best record. Right now, the Sixers are up uh, one game on the Bucks in the loss column, and they're up um, two games in the loss column on Denver. And that's really, I think, is what it's going to come down to. I think if you get to a point where you're looking at how these guys match up, Giannis's numbers are, to me, better uh, than Embiid's. Jokic's numbers are better similar. than both of them. Right. But Embiid has a record. Um, I think Giannis's defense is better. That's like a big part of, I think, of the, of the conversation that has to be sure. held. You also have to look at pace. Like, this is like, it is an important part of the conversation. If you look at it per 100 possessions, so we factor in how these teams play speed-wise, Embiid does have an edge on points over um, Giannis and rebounds by 0.4 per hundred possessions, which is tiny. Um, and Giannis has the edge, obviously, in assist. Giannis is also more efficient, but at the same time, if you look at that, like that's on you know two point percentage, he's more efficient. The uh, effective field goal percentage Giannis has him because he shoots a lot more inside, doesn't take as many threes, right? And then Jokic beats them both. Like Jokic's numbers are just categorically better like if the nuggets didn't have the worst bench in the league this is not really a competition like it's honestly it's pretty much over because literally the nuggets win by about 10 points every game when Jokic is on the floor and they lose by about 15 when he's on the bench and so they just were able to get their bench a little bit more solidified early on um then this probably isn't all that much of a contest because the nuggets have a better record and Jokic has the numbers so do I think Giannis can win it? Yeah, I think Giannis is still alive. I think he's going to have to have an absolutely hellacious March, though. Instead of what I'm talking about, which is the Bucks are probably going to kind of like, okay, let's, let's get Giannis some rest. Let's kind of cool down. Let's kind of coast into the playoffs. If they decide not to do that, if they come out and they put the, if they're like, we got to get ourselves and play out. Like, it's time. It's playoffs are here. Let's actually play some Bucks basketball. And they just destroy everybody. And Giannis is dropping you know, 30 and 15 every night with eight assists, then I think he can, they will pass Embiid for record. If the Bucks have a better record at season's end, I don't understand what the argument would be for Embiid to be over him. Yeah. Can I just say how cool it is to have these three MVP candidates all be international superstars? Yeah, it's really all cool. All international. It's really cool. 
but yeah, I think it's going to be a really, really tight race when it's all said and done. Like you said, it could all come down to the team's record. So that's definitely something to keep an eye on. It's going to come down to the wire. All right, let's move on to the big blockbuster trade before the deadline between Philadelphia and Brooklyn. Ben Simmons for James Harden. What are your thoughts on the trade? Who, who do you think won the trade? Who will benefit the most from this trade? And who is the better team right now? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I kind of lean towards, I think, oh boy, this is tough. <laughs> Very tough. I'll say the Nets. And the reason I'll say the Nets is even without Simmons, they got Andre Drummond, who gives them another guy in the front court, which I talked about. And the Seth Curry acquisition was really under the radar. Like if, if you've watched the Nets since the trade, they've been better in part because it's like, oh, they just have another guard who can do some stuff. Right. And so now you have Kyrie on in the road in the road games, you have Kyrie and Patty Mills and Seth Curry. And like, that's a really good three man guard combo. Um, the Nets, when they had KD, were still like, they were, I think the second seed in the Eastern conference, maybe a half game back of the first, like they were dominant. Like KD was that good this season. And so the gap between them, I think in Philly is significant. I don't know what version of Harden we're going to get. I just don't, I don't know if we're going to get, you know, 2019, 20 or 2021 Harden, who's still able to put up 40 and 12 on any night. I don't know if we're going to get extremely out of shape, just out of the strip club, you know, had the buffet <laughs> while watching the girls Harden. I don't know. I don't know which version we're going to get. I, I think Harden will make things easier for Embiid and that helps. They still are a little short on shooting. Like they're just a little light on shooting, especially after moving Seth. Like they just don't have, if you look at their numbers, they are not a high percentage shooting, like three point shooting team, even beyond the usage for Embiid. And so, you know, they obviously have this big mismatch with, with Embiid no matter what, but the Bucks do have a lot of switchability Simmons, if he comes back and looks like he did in terms of being an all NBA defender, that helps them a lot on the defensive end, which is what they absolutely need. I don't love the offensive fit with Kyrie and Simmons in particular, but Katie's so good. I don't know if it matters. So I'll give the slight edge to the, to the nets here. I think in terms of who won the trade, I think it's an interesting question of the, like who got what they wanted. Like the nets didn't want to trade James Harden and the Sixers wanted to trade for James Harden. And so like objectively the Sixers won because they traded the guy that didn't want to be there that they couldn't move because he had compromised his value so much and they got right. a former MVP for it. Like, the, the Sixers won the trade, but I don't know if that means that the results are going to work out in pursuit of the title the way that both teams want. Right. And the one thing I'll say is that post-deadline, when I made my NBA power rankings, I had the Sixers out of the nets. And the reason why is because Simmons just has not played in a while now. Uh, he's still dealing with mental health. We don't know how Simmons is going to come back and the whole thing with Kyrie and is whether he's going to play home games or not, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with that come playoff time. And then the Harden and Bede fit is also an interesting. We don't know how that's going to look, but I just feel like right now, at least Philly is the better team, but the nets could be very, very scary once we see them at full health. Yeah, I think for sure. Um, I think the nets, Look, I mean, they have they have so much talent, right? I, I just still wonder about that front court and whether or not they're going to be able to get stops that they need to. Like, I really like, how are you going to build a wall on Giannis with this team? Like, you know, Jeff Green was really pivotal for them last year in that series, and he's gone. 
there they what they that series last year with the Nets and the Bucks, what it really came down to was like Blake Griffin played above his weight defensively for four games, and then things swung back the other way. Um, over the last four games of that series, the Nets had a 112 defensive rating, then a 104 for the first three games of that series. So what you really do kind of look at is once the Nets defense kind of reverted back to what it is, the Bucks were able to take advantage and and got some shots to fall and were able to handle them. And it it was closer than that. And it seemed that way because of the injuries, but you don't look at the injuries to Harden and Kyrie and go, that would have helped their defense a lot. Like nobody says that. So um, ultimately I think that matchup is, is really tough. I wonder about the Nets versus the Sixers. You know, you got Drummond. Good luck. I'd love to see Drummond that. On, yeah. Good luck putting Drummond on Embiid, but good luck putting LaMarcus Aldridge on Embiid or Blake Griffin or Nick Claxton. And then Miami, Miami's so good at switching they're going to really frustrate. I think Kyrie Irving, the heat offense may not be able to keep up, but that's a really interesting matchup as well. Like you said, this Eastern conference, like this, before we get into the upset potential of the, of the bulls and the Cavs, all these teams are good. Mm-hmm. All these teams are good. Exactly. All these teams are pretty deep. All these teams have a lot of versatility and it's really going to come down to matchups and who makes shots as far as who advances in Eastern conference playoffs. Also Matt for the nets. I really like Nick Claxton. And I know he's still young. He's a bit raw still, but I really like his potential. I know the Nets were also shopping his name around the market for the deadline, but I don't know why he doesn't play more. He's a great rim protector. Um, I just wish they'd give him more of a chance because, like I said, I'm, I'm a big fan of Nicholas Claxton. Yeah, I think Claxton's taking a step back this year, and now you can tell because his minutes have been a lot more uneven. You can tell the Nash doesn't have a lot of faith in him anymore no not a lot of trust at all yeah there's not a lot of trust and i I think i'll say this too like i don't know if that's nash that might be kd too like i don't know if kd has that kind of faith in him i think he believes in blake a lot more um claxton also i'll say this like he has the potential to switch and was really good at last year the numbers for him this year have not been nearly as good like teams have figured out how to attack him and i don't i have to do a deeper dive to kind of figure out if there's one specific thing that they're doing more against him. But his numbers last year were basically this guy should be starting and should play all the time and they should just switch everything. And this, the numbers this year have been much more indicative of Claxton might not be the answer that they maybe thought he was, but I like his long-term potential, you know, they get rid of all the good young players. So hopefully when he gets traded for some over the hill star, he can go somewhere else and have a good, good time. Yeah. Gotcha. And that makes sense. Cause well, he's a great, interior defender you know he can be a liability out in the perimeter or when he's given a switch so yeah it makes sense but yeah I, I did like his potential I wish they'd give him a chance more okay let's move on to the number one seed in the east at the all-star break the Miami Heat and we talked about this before but they added Kyle Lowry um, Victor Oladipo who has not played yet this season could return and what scares me most about the Heat is their addition of former Buck and NBA champion PJ Tucker. What do you think about the heat and their chances in the East? I mean, I I kind of said that I like them a lot. I think they're here's what's interesting. So their half court offense for the first part of the year was absolute garbage. Like they were 20th, 18th, I think actually in, in half court, they've moved up to about 11th. And so the numbers still project really well. The problem is when they have these losses, that's what falls apart is they just can't get like, they do not have a reliable offense. And part of that's just Duncan Robinson lost the ability to shoot, which is the only thing that he's good at, right? Um, Tucker obviously gives them a tough dynamic. Bucks fans know about that. He's helpful. He can hit corner three sometimes, not 
terribly reliably. Lowry's been a little off this year. Like he hasn't been like, you can tell that, that father time is kind of catching up on him. Um, but when you get the playoff time, you still got Butler who is so good at making tough buckets. Lowry, who's so good at making tough buckets. You got hero. Who's a third playmaker. The real question I think is going to come down to Bam Adebayo. Can he punish the matches that he's going to get? Because that was a big thing of what happened last year versus the Bucks. He just wouldn't shoot. Like he was perplexing. They played drop versus Bam, which Bam should have just had like little tiny floaters and and little one step drop shots all day, and he just did not take them. So if Bam is in a better place mentally and physically, then I think that Bam can be a huge determining factor for the finals. They are going to have trouble, I think, in some of the bigger matchups facing some of the bigger guys. Um, Chicago is an interesting one because the Heat are going to want to switch. And the the Bulls are maybe the one team that's like, we've got tough shot makers. We're fine with this. Like, it's the Nets too. But the Bulls in particular, they've got Vucevic also to punish the switch versus the small. The Bulls are actually, I think, really well conditioned for a Heat matchup. But they the Bulls just may not be ready for how sharp and good and kind of lethal the the Heat defense is. So I do think that Miami's vulnerable, but they're also extremely dangerous. It's gonna be interesting to see whether they come in as like the number one seed that's like that's carries with it like they should win, or if they come in as like a scrappy underdog. They need to be that underdog that they were when they knocked the Bucks out of the bubble. That's a better position for them, I think. Bam will definitely be the key, offensively yeah. and defensively. You know, so you also have to ask yourself, can Jimmy Butler be the best player on a title winning team when you have Giannis and Bede, KD all in the same conference? There's going to be a lot of a lot of weight on Jimmy Butler's shoulders come playoff time. Yeah. And he's been, you know, he's inconsistent when he's great. He's great. I've always kind of said this is like Jimmy's very likely to hit to have a 40 point triple double one game and then have a 18, six and five game the next like not this is the thing where I think Giannis has moved past him by such a degree is like you know what you're getting from Giannis every night like you are getting domination unless he is injured or is a very rare exception like Giannis is going to give you 30 and 10 with five assists at least every night you know absolutely Um, and Butler is a lot more inconsistent but the games where if the heat defense wins them the formula is like the heat defense wins them two games Butler wins them one game and then they eke out basically clutch time performance in the, in the fourth, Like that's their formula for figuring out how to, how to beat, how to win four rounds and make the finals again. Um, look, this team went to the finals two years ago. They're still very dangerous. They're exceptionally well coached. Butler is very well made for the playoffs in terms of being a tough shot maker. Lowry is a big help for them. I think they're getting great contributions from guys like Max Struess and Yurtsevin. So they have some options there are teams I think they're going to have matchup problems against, but they're just as dangerous as anyone, I think, in the Eastern Conference. And honestly, I think they're a little overlooked when you look at how well they match up versus some of these teams, including Milwaukee. They're deep. They're very well coached by Eric Spolstra. They have a lot of veteran, gritty guys, and they got some stars on their team, so they definitely have a chance. And speaking of a chance, I think people are still sleeping on the Chicago Bulls. The Bulls kind of remind me of the Suns from last year when they just got the right pieces and now they are just rolling. They're actually tied with the Heat in first place right now as we enter the All-Star break. And Terozen has been absolutely incredible. He should get some MVP votes too at the end of the year. Um, what does he have, like 35 plus points in the last eight games or so? I mean, he's just going off right now with a lot of their key guys injured. Lonzo, Caruso, 
and even Patrick Williams might return for the playoffs. Um, they just added Tristan Thompson. They look really good under head coach Billy Donovan. I wanted to hear your thoughts on the Bulls and their chances of contending in the East. Uh, I like Chicago. I think there's a, a, a healthy amount of skepticism towards them in the playoff environment, which is, I think is fair. I expect them to be a lot more to play drops coverage and pick and roll a lot more. They play a little bit more aggressive than you'd think. Um, their defense just falls off a cliff when uh, Caruso and ball, those guys, when they come back do kind of improve it. And look, they've said that they expect Patrick Williams to maybe be back in March. That's a huge deal. That would they be get Pat huge. Williams. That's massive. Having a wing that can defend at his level on all these matchups, whether it's, Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris, uh, Chris Middleton, like just having his length to guard guys is huge. So I think if, at full strength, I think they're a little underrated. I just don't know. DeRozan's playoff history is poor. Zach Levine hasn't really, has never been in this environment. He doesn't, he's not been here. So we got to see what he looks like. Um, Lonzo Ball, never been there. You know, Caruso has been a bit player, hasn't had this kind of role, I think on a playoff contending team i like i said i i they are a team i think that matches up better when i think about it in a theoretical matchup context than in reality like i just talked about how like you know versus miami but they've got tough shot makers and they got vucevic but it's like the heat are so much better in a playoff environment and are have such a sharp edge that that may be a mismatch just based off of the mentality alone you know i don't think mill i don't think that they have anything that they that they can do versus milwaukee i just don't um Philly's interesting, but Embiid tends to torture Vucevic. So then that winds up being like another mismatch when it should be kind of a strength. And the Sixers have enough defenders to cause problems, and they don't really have a good defender. The Bulls don't to throw on Harden. They can try ball, but Harden's going to do what Harden's going to do. So I think Chicago can make it out of the first round, maybe depending, especially if they get like a 4-5 versus Cleveland, I'll probably like Chicago in that matchup. But after that, I think that's probably the limit to what they can do. If they go further, it's because DeRozan doesn't have the playoff problems that he has in recent years. Vucevic gives them big games. And especially, I think, if Zach Levine is ready for that moment. Like, Levine has been has, – his strides have been so incredible the last couple of seasons. If he's able to be the type of top-level scorer that he is in the regular season, if he adapts to playoff basketball that way, and he is giving – if he's dropping 35, that gives them, I think, a real threat to make the Eastern Conference Finals they're in that conversation, but they've got to be at the back just because they don't have the experience of teams like the Nets, the Bucks, the Sixers, honestly, and the Heat. Right. And that's why they kind of remind me of the Suns from last year because Booker didn't have that much playoff experience. He came in and just, you know, thrived. Levine could do the exact same thing. Chris Ball had his playoff struggles before last year. That could be DeRozan this year. You know, so I see the comparison, but obviously different conferences. But the Bulls are right there in the East. They are right there, thick and thin. And we cannot be sleeping on this team. Also, Ayo DeSumo, the rookie, has been playing very well as of late, too. Especially with all these injuries. Great defender. And it's, it's kind of shocking that he slipped that far in the draft when looking at him now. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Like he's been, he's been really great. He was a really divisive guy for a lot of the smart draft people that I listen to. Um, they were really torn on him. I liked him because I liked his size and you're seeing that with what he's able to do defensively. So I'm not surprised at what he's been able to give them. They have a lot of guys on that bench that are, are good. Kobe White's been shooting the lights out of the ball. Like he's just been shooting the lights out lately. And so I kind of think that um, they're a lot more dangerous maybe than, than 
than people expect just because the bench plays with such energy, but they got to get Caruso and they got to get ball. They have to be fully healthy or the formula doesn't work. Now, another team that has shocked the Eastern Conference this year is the Cleveland Cavaliers. And obviously they lost Rubio, Ricky Rubio, for the rest of the season, then traded him in picks to get Karis Levert. And with their length, they are a pretty frightening team. You know, very intimidating with that starting lineup of Garland, Levert, Laurie Markkinen, Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen. And obviously we'll see Garland and Allen in the All-Star game on Sunday. What do you think about the Cleveland Cavaliers? They're really interesting, right? Like they're, um, they just kind of refuse to lose. <laughs> like just like they should, they lost Colin Sexton and they're like, nope, we're just going to keep winning. And then they lost Ricky Rubio and they're like, nope, we're going to keep winning. Right. Like they just kind of refuse. Like they just are, they are extremely stubborn and I have nothing but respect for it. It's really impressive. You know, if you look at them overall, they're still six and four in their last 10 games, despite having kind of gone through a dip and, they play such great defense. I love what JB Bickerstaff has done this season with when they had signed marketing and they were like, we're going to play marketing and Allen and mobile together. Everyone was like, are you out of your mind? This is the worst idea. Are you, right, you can't right. play? You, you can't play three bigs in the NBA in 2021, let alone play three bigs in 2021 that are these three bigs. You can't do that. And he's made it work. And I love what they've done where they space Allen and Mobley to the corners and have them dive. Like they're not just like, how, how are you going to have spacing? Well, we're going to have, have guys that can shoot in marketing and Mobley to a certain degree, not really, but a little bit. And then we're going to have them just dive and we're going to use that perimeter in out gravity to draw defenders down. And that's going to open up the top. And like, it's such a nice adjustment that they've put together there in Cleveland, Darius Garland. I liked him last year. He's made such a leap. He's such a phenomenal playmaker. Like he is just, He's a three-level scorer that has a lot that he brings and leadership. Love how he's played. I like the Levert addition. I like what they've got. Honestly, I think Okoro um, defensively has some really nice sequences still, even though his offense is, is kind of a drag and the overall numbers aren't good. Chetty Osman, who I've never been high on, having a great season. They've just, they have a great vibe. They compete. They're tough. They got a little Memphis grit grind. And Evan Mobley is honestly one of my favorite players to watch already in the league. Like he's like a top five Agreed. guy for me to watch. Rookie of the year for sure. Night tonight, unquestionably the rookie of the year. Uh, I love that that they've given him the nickname Slim Duncan. It's so great. Like Mobley is legit. They're a lot of fun. I can't see them winning in a playoff series. I just can't see them being able to generate enough offense. Teams are going to basically blitz Darius Garland or switch it. And they're going to dare guys to beat them one-on-one. And they just do not have the one-on-one scores, I think, to get it done. Like, they'll have a good chance with Allen on lobs and on, you know, putbacks and things like that. But I don't know where they're going to get the scoring to keep up with some of these teams. Because these teams can all defend. All of these teams, except for the Nets, can defend. And, you know, Chicago without Levert or without Caruso and Ball. And so they can all defend and they have high-efficiency offenses. So your floor that you got to get to offensively in the playoffs is very high. And I just don't think that the Cavs can get there. I think they can get there in the regular season. They're going to make the playoffs. I don't think they're going to be a play-in team. I don't think. Um, really great year. Awesome season. I think J.B. Biggerstaff is the coach of the year. I like him over Ty Lue. But ultimately, um, I think that's probably where the ride ends. I think they're probably a first-round out. Yeah, and I hate to say it, but I do agree with you. They're just – they're so different, which makes them so intriguing. But I just can't see them – you know, winning a playoff series, a seven game playoff series in the stacked 
Eastern Conference. But man, I give a lot of credit to GM Kobe Altman for constructing this roster. It's been very impressive. And I've I've spoken to a Cavs executive and what he what he told me is just it's a crazy process what they've been going through ever since LeBron left. And to see him succeeding like this, it's just really I'm really happy for the city, the organization. It's a great story. But I do think Cleveland will uh, end up in that four to six, you know, seed and then losing the first round. But the future is bright in Cleveland. That's for sure. Let's move on to the Boston Celtics. Now, the Celtics, they acquired Derek White and Daniel Tice before the trade deadline. Tice reunion. They are nine and one in their last 10 games. It would have been 10 in a row if they would have beat Detroit in that last game here before the All-Star break. But Ime Adoka and his team, they are on a roll now. What do you think about the Celtics and their chances to win a playoff series this year? They're so dangerous, man. Like all season long, this team is kind of projected as being better than their record. That's why if you dug into the metrics, you would find is like, wow, they should be much better. Like they were, I think, below 500 with a top 10 adjusted net rating, according to dunksandthrees.com, which factors strength of schedule. And they're just, they have shooting, they have weapons, they have a great defense. Their offense does lag behind, but Tatum has finally started to, to pick up. And like, this is huge, is that of course the Celtics offense was bad when Jason Tatum couldn't hit a shot. Their entire offense is geared around him. The Derek White pickup was excellent. It helped sell him down. There's just like a lot of, of things going right for this team. The Sixers do not want to see this team. Embiid struggles with Al Horford every single year. He just has a really hard time with it. Tatum gives them problems. They don't have a good defender to match up versus him. It's not going to get better with Harden. They have the defenders to attach onto Harden. They can put Smart on him. They can put Brown on him. They can switch and have Robert Williams pick him up at the edge and be okay. They have shot protection inside. I think they'll struggle versus a team like the Bucs, right? Because then it becomes, okay, you can put Robert Williams on him, but I don't trust him to get the stops versus Giannis. He's just not strong enough. And the Bucs have so much more shooting around. They'll be able to kind of outpace, I think, Boston from that direction. Um, they just don't have enough shooting, I think, Boston does. A Boston-Miami series, I think, would be very close. I think it'd be very competitive. It'd probably go seven games. The Nets are a fascinating one. I kind of think that the Nets win just because KD has such an advantage in that series and Kyrie will probably take it personally and play really hard because of whatever thing Kyrie thinks. Um, even though they should have an advantage on side with Robert Williams, Williams isn't a one-on-one scorer the way that you need versus to attack that Nets front line. So again, we're in the same spot of it just really depends on the matchup. I think there's good matchups and bad matchups for Boston, but if they get a route where it's like they have to play the Philly and Philly in the four or five um, or three, six, and then they face Miami in the second round, I think the, the Celtics can make the Eastern conference finals. I think they're absolutely a threat. Really? Make it that far. Yeah. The Celtics have been very impressive as of late. Jason Tatum is back to being a absolute superstar in these past few weeks. But the, the thing that I just see is they, they kind of lack depth. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think when you look at it, like they've got it, trying to make it that far just requires a lot from, from what where those guys are at. And I, for a me, lot. I just yeah. can't see it. Agreed. Yeah. And last but not least is the Toronto Raptors. The Raptors, are another scary team. They can be scary. Um, but they'll probably end up in that seven or eight seed is what I'm thinking. And same with the Celtics. I just don't see them. I think they'll give, give up a really good fight to somebody, but I don't know if they're going to be able to pull off a win in the first round, whoever they play. 
I just think the seven other teams out of these eight top seeds, uh, I don't. I just don't see the Raptors being able to uh, defeat them in a seven-game series. Yeah, I don't want to count them out though. Like, look, you can never really count them out. It's the Toronto Raptors. Uh, you know, they're three and zero versus the Bucks, and that's not random. <laughs> Nurse does such a good job scheming. Siakam's playing great. This is some of the best basketball I've seen Pascal Siakam play. Fred Van Vliet is absolutely playing the best of his career. I think Fred Van Vliet needs to be all NBA, which is wild given the number of guards that we've got that are elite. Um, you've got OG Anobi is like their fifth best player at this point. He hasn't had a good season and that's still a really good player. Scotty Barnes makes so many effort plays. The only problem is like their bench is terrible and right. they're playing guys so many minutes. Like they have like four of their guys are top five in, in minutes per game this season. It's that's crazy. what Nick Nurse does. Yeah, it's crazy. So he's playing his starters to the bone and I just worry about them being too exhausted. And I do worry that they're not going to have like that one score. Um, I think it would be good for Toronto or for Milwaukee, honestly, to face them much like they, you know, they beat the heat and that was a, all right, we are not the team that, that lost before. I think it'd be good for them to face Toronto and get past them, but it would be tough. I think because Toronto finds a way, like, I don't even really know how to explain it. I can't really, like, I can't look at the matchups and give you like, Oh, this is going to be a problem or they're going to play this scheme or this thing. They just figure things out. Like they just are, they will not die. They are just zombies that continue to, to kind of growl towards you. They're so tough to beat. They're a very unpredictable team and they're very lengthy and they're so versatile too. Like guys like Siakam, Scotty Barnes, the rookies playing great. Um, Gary Trent Jr., very underrated. And so, yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, Toronto can be a scary team, but in a seven game series, I don't know if I can see him beating one of these teams, but they do. Yeah. They do scare me a bit coming from a Milwaukee Bucks standpoint. Yeah, it should be. I mean, I'll say this too. Like they believe they can win and they match up well. Yeah. They, like, teams, but they, they are one of the few teams I think that is not scared of, of Milwaukee. I think, I think the heat last year, I think after last year, the heat are very much like, okay, f- fair enough. You swept us and beat the shit out of us. Fine. That's fair enough. I think the nets have respect for them. Um, and I think the Sixers have respect, have a little bit of fear for them, but I don't think the Raptors are afraid of the Bucs. They're just like, nope, beat them before, we'll beat them again. Right. <laughs> Unafraid. Okay, so we just named and talked about the top eight teams currently in the Eastern Conference. So after chatting about all eight teams right now, which East teams are your real title contenders? I think the Milwaukee Bucks can win the title. I think, I think the Miami Heat can win the title. Yes, that's it. That's those are the only two teams in the Eastern Conference I think that can win the NBA title. I will say Milwaukee, Miami too, and then I'm also going to add Philadelphia. <sighs> look, I know we we have not seen. I want to do this, but it. like, look. Year after year, Joel gets gets double teamed in the playoffs and turns it over at like a 25% rate. He can't handle a double team. He did better last year. And then again in the playoffs, he fell apart before he threw his teammate under the bus. Like, I, I don't, Harden, it's like, okay. what? And then it becomes like, well, don't worry. They got Harden. Oh yes. I'm a Harden guy. Like I, can't, I voted for him the one year I had an MVP vote. I voted for him in 2017. He should have won that year. I've made the case for him in 2018. Um, I love Harden. I really do. I think his game is underrated. 
However, if you ask me, like, what's a player that makes you feel better about having them in a playoff series when things get tough late? James Harden is not on my list of guys. I do not feel better having James Harden for a tough playoff series. Um, so, look, can they? If they get the right series of matchups, yes. But, boy, them going up against even the Warriors, the Warriors or – even with Joel's matchup advantage there, the Warriors or the Suns, man, I don't know. That's that is a lot of offense for the Sixers to try and keep up with. I would be very concerned. You know, it's funny because I'm actually the opposite. I am not a fan of James Harden, but I'm a fan of Joel Embiid and the way he's been playing so dominantly this year. I just got to put him at least in the conversation right now. If they if they do something else in the buyout market too, you know, they do need more shooting. If they can get that and look even more scary, I like their chances, but I would put Milwaukee and Miami ahead of them right now. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that assessment. And then last but not least, let's force rank the East teams at the moment. The top eight teams right now, if you had to make your own power rankings of the top eight teams in the East, what would they be? One bucks. Right now, two Sixers, but... I think by the end, it'll be heat. Three is the heat. Um, Four is the Celtics. Uh, Five is Chicago. Six is the Nets. Mm -hmm. Seven is the Cavaliers. And eight is the Raptors. Gotcha. We're we're mostly on the same page. I have Milwaukee one, then Philadelphia, Miami, Chicago, then Brooklyn, then Boston, then... Cleveland, Toronto. Those are my top eight. Yep, it's solid. All right, that's all we've got time for today. Matt, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate you. Happy All-Star break. Enjoy the festivities and take care, my man. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.